Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. And by Vortex Optics with the VIP warranty, their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. And by Brome, where bird feeding meets innovation. Discover truly squirrel proof bird feeders. All backed by lifetime care commitment. Learn more at brome.com. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to our show, number 970. Guess who's back? Here's a hint. She is the oldest known wild bird in the world. Right, she's the Laysan albatross, known as Wisdom, believed to be at least 72 years of age, and she has once again returned to the Midway Atoll National Wildlife Refuge out in the Pacific. And she's been captured on video doing what appears to be taking part in a mating ritual, possibly with her latest and long-term partner, Akikamai. That's a name with layers of meaning, translating to lover of wisdom. On last week's show, we congratulated intrepid birder Gino Ellison, who recently completed his North American Big Year by tracking down and IDing 801 species of birds in 365 days. One of those birds was the one we're about to hear in an audio postcard that Gino sent to us as he was nearing the end of his big year. Take it away, Gino. Good morning, Ray. I'm in Miami, Florida. And this morning we're listening to Orange Winged Parrots. Let's give it a listen. It's a beautiful morning here, Ray. I hope that you're doing well, and I will keep in touch. Take good care. Thank you, Gino. We love getting audio postcards from wherever you are in Miami, Florida, where it's a little warmer than up here in New England or any place else, including your backyard. How to make one? Just grab your smartphone or other digital recording device and do a little description, 30 seconds to a minute maybe, about what you're seeing. And then just send the file, email the file to ray at talkingbirds.com. That's ray at talkingbirds.com for your audio postcard. Well, here's a note that's important that we often forget to mention and has to do with our mystery bird contest, and that's this. If you're not hearing our show live and would like to do so, so that you could, for example, enter our contest, kind of helps to have it be live when you're trying to do that, just go to TalkinBirds.com, and you'll see how to do it. It's very easy. TalkinBirds.com. There's no G in talking. Our live broadcast, by the way, is on Sunday mornings from 9.30 to 10 Eastern Time. Here's a preview of today's contest. That's our mystery bird. It's a medium-sized member of the Picadee family. It has a black and white barred back, black cape and nape, a white face, throat and breast, black spots on the belly and sides, and the male has a small red ribbon-like line on the side of its head. Our bird, which is a year-round resident of the southeast quadrant of the U.S., from southeast Oklahoma to the mid-Atlantic states and most of Florida, 
feeds on the adults, larvae, and eggs of insects and other arthropods found on and under the bark of pine trees. That's our mystery bird. Beautiful prizes await, as usual, on our mystery bird contest. And by the way, if no one gets the correct answer, we'll do a drawing to determine our winner. So give it a try when we do the contest a bit later on in the show. Our friends at Bird Collective say that although birding is a wildlife, you don't have to sacrifice style or comfort when out in the field. And that's why today's prize is a $25 gift certificate for Bird Collective, the one-stop shop for vintage-inspired apparel and unique accessories, all featuring birds. Our other prize is a big bag of our favorite coffee, shade-grown, bird-friendly, and truly delicious Birds and Beans coffee, grown under the natural forest canopy in Central America to preserve wintering habitat for warblers and tanagers and thrushes and hummingbirds and more of the birds that we all love. Prizes on our Mystery Bird Contest. You heard the sound and the clues, and we'll give the, give the signal uh, for the contest uh, just a little bit uh, later on on this morning's show. We are most fortunate to still be able to welcome new Talking Birds ambassadors to the show every week, folks who step up and help us spread the word about birds and conservation. And we want to say thank you to Megan Fox from Des Moines, Iowa. Megan says, I'm a first grade teacher, and in my class we have a bird of the week where the kids learn all about that bird and draw a picture of it. We also have the Cornell Lab Sapsucker, or Ontario Bird Feeder Cam, on during class time when we aren't using the smart board. I looked that up, by the way, and I guess it's kind of a computerized electronic version of a whiteboard. The kids, she says, are becoming birders, and I hope I put a lifetime of birding love into their souls. Sounds like you're doing exactly that. Megan, thank you so much for becoming a Talking Birds ambassador. Thanks for your kind words about the show. Easy to become a Talking Birds ambassador. It's that same website again, that TalkingBirds.com place there. and Just go to the Get Involved tab at the top of the homepage to join our ambassadors family. Still to come today, we'll talk with the Audubon Society of Rhode Island's Dr. Charles Clarkson about an exciting avian research symposium that will no doubt draw many attendees from in and far beyond the ocean state. Also today, Mike O'Connor, who makes his living in the bird feeding business, will join us for a brave Let's Ask Mike segment, almost live from the archive, in which he tackles the topic of whether feeding birds is a good idea. And up next, an owl that has found its way to nearly every continent on the planet is today's featured feathered friend. Hawaii's only native owl, the pueo, is a subspecies of today's featured feathered friend, the short-eared owl. The short-eared is a medium-sized owl with a rounded head and ear tufts that are almost too small to be seen. It's mostly brown and heavily streaked overall, with dark eye patches and a whitish face, and its barred wingtips are visible in flight. 
The short-eared owl is found on every continent on the planet except for Australia and Antarctica. As that worldwide distribution suggests, short-eared owls travel long distances over land and sea. In fact, there have been numerous reports of the birds landing on ships hundreds of miles from any landmass. Short-eared owls are active during both day and night in nesting season, and they tend to forage in low light conditions in winter, flying low over the ground and sometimes hovering at heights up to 100 feet. They feed mostly on small mammals, especially mice and voles, but also birds. And in Hawaii, the short-eared owl is known to prey on the endangered Hawaiian thrush. The short-eared owl is one of the few species that seems to have benefited from a destructive process called strip mining, nesting on reclaimed and revegetated mines in areas south of its typical breeding range. Short ears generally occupy large open areas with low vegetation, including grasslands, agricultural areas, meadows, marshes, and dunes in the summer. Winter habitat is similar. But more likely to include large open areas within woodlots and fresh and saltwater marshes. Partners in Flight lists the short-eared owl as a common bird in steep decline, a category for species that are still too numerous or widely distributed to warrant watch list status, but that have experienced troubling long-term declines. The short-eared owl's need for extensive tracts of open grasslands. Make them vulnerable to habitat loss and fragmentation from agriculture, livestock grazing, and development. Here are some of the short ears' puppy-like and other vocalizations. It's today's featured feathered friend, Asio flamius, the short-eared owl. Welcome again to our show number nine hundred seventy. Dr. Charles Clarkson is the director of avian research for the Audubon Society of Rhode Island, and he's the driving force behind a very exciting full-day bird and conservation-themed event that I know will draw folks from all over New England and beyond. On Sunday, the fourth of February, it's entitled "Birds Across New England: The Audubon Regional Conservation Symposium." And Charles Clarkson is here to tell us about it. Good morning, Charles. Good morning, Ray. How are you? I'm well and and warmed up. I know you were out there early this morning in some pretty chilly weather, but I guess you're okay now, right? I am. Yeah, finally getting a frigid winter morning here in southern New England. Yeah, just what we want. Well, Charles, please give us a description, if to, maybe to start with, is、uh, your job relatively new at Audubon Society? As、uh, Audubon Society of Rhode Island's director of avian research, and how it led to this symposium, now I believe in its second year. Yeah, no, absolutely.、Um, I was fortunate enough to come on board at the Audubon Society of Rhode Island in the fall of 2021, after the organization kind of restructured their strategic plan. Um, and I was tasked with creating an avian research program that is dedicated to establishing a baseline understanding of how birds utilize the roughly 10,000 acres of land that we manage in the state.、Mm -hmm. So this project really entails 
collecting data on the abundance and distribution of birds throughout the year, um, understanding the associations that birds exhibit with habitats on our properties and the creation of uh, highly effective management plans that, that we can use to help mitigate the declines that we're seeing in, in many of our bird populations. Um, so that's kind of the, the scientific aspect of what I do. But then as a conservationist, you know, one of uh, my biggest concerns is that there always seems to be this massive communication gap that exists between the scientific community and the general public. And it is my belief that really the best route to global conservation is through achieving buy-in from the general public. You know, conservation scientists perform work that allows us to better understand what the major problems facing our wildlife populations are, but in and of ourselves, we're not powerful enough to make the change that is required. So at, at the Audubon Society of Rhode Island, our aim is to make the general public better stewards of the natural world through more effective communication so that they they understand what the big problems are, the big drivers of decline in many of our bird populations are. They understand the work that's being done to address those problems within the scientific community throughout New England. And uh, then they understand how they can individually contribute to the solution itself. Um, you know, and just some, an example, in the scientific community, we've known for decades that cats, for example, are a very serious source of decline for birds. But every time I give a talk and mention the toll that domestic and feral cats take on birds, I always have people come up to me after the talk and say, you know, this is the first time that I've heard about this issue. Hmm. So communication truly is absolutely everything if you want to maximize your conservation potential. Well, you have a wonderful lineup of presenters here, beginning with the keynote address presenter, Dr. Carl Safina, and I think you have a kind of a special connection to him as well. Tell us just a little bit about him and his talk. Oh, absolutely. Carl's a wonderful human being. Uh, he's done a lot to kind of advance the case for life on this planet. He is the founder of the Safina Center, which is a nonprofit that is devoted to advancing conservation through combining scientific understanding and emotional connection to the natural world. He's the recipient of a MacArthur Genius Fellowship, and he's won multiple accolades for his writing. And he's really devoted much of his life to conserving wildlife and communicating science. Um, personally, I credit Carl with helping to shape my career path. So I am a scientist, uh, and I study birds from an analytical perspective. But my connection to birds is truly emotional, as it is with most people who really enjoy birds, whether they're, they're learning about birds from a scientific perspective or feeding birds in their backyard. We all connect to birds in an emotional capacity. And Carl's writing about intelligence and emotion in animals and large ethical questions about our role in the world have really spoken to me personally and helped guide my approach to science. So his writings provide kind of a window into the way our relationship with nature has changed over time, how removed we tend to be from the ebbs and flows of the natural world, and how things like compassion and attention and just connection are really, truly necessary if we want a healthy relationship 
uh, with the world around us. Mm-hmm. And so at the symposium, Carl will be giving the keynote address first thing in the morning to kick off the event. And he'll be talking about his newest book, which is called Alfie and Me, What Owls Know and What Humans Believe. And it's a really, truly beautiful story about the resilience of nature and the true connection we have to the world around us, which is rather different than that which we've convinced ourselves of over you know, hundreds of years of human evolution. And so Carl really does a great job of making the case that we are a part of nature as opposed to a part from nature. And so I think he's going to be really great as a keynote uh, speaker because he can take science, he can take emotion, he can combine the two, and he can get an audience consisting of the general public to truly understand how important it is that we we have this connection to the natural world around us. Mm-hmm. Well, you'll be giving a talk as well, twice, I believe, in fact, uh, called The State of Rhode Island Birds, and that's another talk that I think will apply very widely outside of Rhode Island, outside of New England as well. And by the way, uh, Charles, you've secured quite a spectacular venue for this event in a very special place right by the ocean along the famous Newport Cliff Walk, right? That's right, yeah. The um, the symposium is going to be held in, on the campus of Salve Virginia University, which is just uh, an absolutely idyllic location uh, right in downtown Newport. It sits, the campus itself sits on 80 acres right on the water, and many of the buildings on the campus are rather amazing works of architecture from the Gilded Age of the 19th and early 20th centuries. Um, this, the, the school itself has a student body of, of just under 3,000, so it's this great liberal arts school that really adds a lot of vitality to the town, and we'll be holding the symposium in the O'Hare Science Building, which is just this newly constructed building, sits right on the water. It's got a great uh, lecture hall with a number of classrooms closely um, approximated to it that are really just allow for a symposium of this magnitude to take place and facilitate this communication between scientists and the general public. So it's mm-hmm. going to be a beautiful location. Uh, and it's going to be a wonderful event. And a bird walk for early attendees, right, at 7 a.m., I believe? That's right, yeah. If people are willing to get up early enough, they can show up at 7, and from 7 to 8.15 in the morning, we're going to have a, a bird, a guided bird walk along Cliff Walk, which is this walking path that's adjacent to the university itself, right along that kind of rocky coastal uh, shoreline where a lot of wintering waterfowl can be expected, and so we'll have spotting scopes, and we'll have trained staff out there helping to to guide the walk, so folks can show up a little early if they'd like and go out and, and see some wonderful southern New England birds, and then go into the registration uh, building and, and have a nice hot cup of coffee and a, and a Danish while they wait for Carl's uh, opening remarks. And speaking of registration, you can do it at this address, and this stands for Audubon Society. Rhode Island, so it's ASRI.org, or you can just do a search for Audubon Society of Rhode Island or even just Rhode Island Audubon, and you will find it easily there. Dr. Charles Clarkson is the Director of Avian Research for the Audubon Society of Rhode Island and leader of the upcoming Avian Research Symposium Sunday, February 4th at Salve Regina University in beautiful Newport, Rhode Island. Charles, congratulations on putting this uh, great connecting event together, and good luck on the 4th. Thank you so much, Ray. It was a pleasure to be here this morning. Charles Clarkson here on Talking Birds, and up next, it's our Mystery Bird Contest in just one minute. 
The flutter of a tail feather, the flash of a wing bar in mid-flight. You don't always have a lot of time to identify a bird in nature, let alone to appreciate its beauty. But with Vortex Optics, you'll have the power to bring every wild moment closer. When you choose Vortex, you're choosing to have a partner in the field as passionate about nature as you are. Whether you're spotting old friends on the backyard feeder or packing for a once-in-a-lifetime trip to add a few species to your life list, Vortex offers a full range of optics and optics accessories for every birder and every budget. And whether the birds are taking you to another state or another country, you're always covered by the Vortex VIP warranty, an unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. If you'd like to learn more or if you need help choosing your next optic, Give Vortex a call at 1-800-4-VORTEX or visit vortexoptics.com. All right. Our mystery bird contest is officially underway. That means we invite you to call and tell us what that bird is as soon as you can. Here's the number. It's 781-837-4900. I'll give it again in a moment. Uh, we urge you to call so uh, much so because we run out of time on our show lots of times, and folks call after the show has ended. So call us right now if you can identify this bird or if you'd like to take a guess at it because a drawing will determine our winner if there's no correct answer. Our mystery bird is a medium-sized member of the Picadee family, P-I-C-A-D-A-E. It has a black and white barred back, black cap and nape, a white face, throat and breast, Black spots on the belly and sides. The male has a small red ribbon-like line on the side of its head. Our bird, which is a year-round resident of the southeast quadrant of the U.S., all the way from southeast Oklahoma to the mid-Atlantic states and most of Florida, feeds on the adults, larvae, and eggs of insects and other arthropods found on and under the bark of pine trees for the most part. That's our mystery bird. A $25 gift certificate for Bird Collective is one of our prizes. And the other one is a big bag of our favorite coffee, delicious, shade-grown, bird-friendly birds and beans coffee. So give a call and uh, give your guess or give us the definitive answer as to what that bird is. And here's that number again. It's 781 837 787 Four nine hundred on our mystery bird contest, and up next that brave report from Mike O'Connor, almost live from the archive. Let's ask Mike in just one minute. Welcome to a world where bird feeding is enjoyable for both you and your feathered friends. Introducing Squirrelbuster Bird Feeders by Brome. Our innovative feeders are designed to keep squirrels at bay, ensuring that your garden birds get their fair share. And the best part? We offer lifetime care for every feeder, making your purchase worry-free. Transform your garden into a bird paradise and keep it that way forever. Sorry, squirrels. It's just for the birds this time. Visit Brome.com, B-R-O-M-E.com, to discover our full range of Squirrel Buster feeders and join the Brome family today. Brome, where birds come first and our commitment to you lasts a lifetime. Well, it's warming up a little bit, but it's still kind of cold, so we're back on the topic of birds in the cold weather, especially 
now in the backyard as we connect here with Mike O'Connor down there at the Birdwatchers General Store uh, on Cape Cod in Orleans. Good morning, Mike. Hey, good morning to you, Ray. It is warming up a little bit. We're seeing a little bit more uh, open water out front here, so it took the duck's a little bit happier. Oh, that's that's nice. Yeah, well, we've had a, quite a deep freeze, and birds have uh, had a tough time getting through this. Oh, my God, especially when we just mentioned the ducks. I went down to the... Uh, the Orleans Yacht Club the other day, which sounds like a wonderful place. It's basically an old weathered building with a boat ramp. That's the idea of a yacht club. But the, but the ducks had come in. Um, apparently, I don't know if somebody had tossed some coin out or what, but they, they were running out of uh, open water, and, and they were actually on the land, uh, the black ducks, mostly black ducks and mallows. And they, they would go up on the land when it was, like, in the teens, and they would tuck their feet in. So instead of stand, standing on the grass and, and eating the grass, they would just clamp down and kind of push their bodies along because they didn't want to expose their feet because it was so cold so the whole time they kept their, their legs tucked underneath them and then when they took a break they immediately would turn their heads and tuck their beaks in their feathers because they they had that counter current with the, keeping their feet warm but their beaks lose a lot of heat so they would immediately tuck their heads in their feathers now a lot of birds struggle in this cold some birds go in nesting cavities to keep warm but most of them don't and which is amazing they just don't feel comfortable in there so they go against the sides of trees and huddle up against the sides of trees and they go they use the tree to block the wind and sometimes they'll huddle up two or three at a time to keep warm i know uh people found kinglets all kind of huddle together to stay out of the wind and and to help conserve energy, a lot of them will drop their body temperatures. It's usually it's like around like 104-ish, and they drop it a number of degrees. And they also shiver, which like we do to produce heat, but they don't shiver as kind of kind of dramatically as we do. But they do have a bit of shivering to keep themselves warm. And they huddle down and they fluff their feathers out. We were looking at at chickadees coming to our feet. They're like like little balls, just. <laughs> Super out. And you're talking about wrens. When I put my features out this morning, and there was a Carolina wren. Wow. They they make it through this cold, and it's a southern bird. But they've probably with feeders and some of our plantings and some of our wood piles are able to they're able to survive the cold. Um, I was reading about one um, grouse. And I don't. I'm surprised more birds don't do this, but they grouse will make a little snow cave and fly in, I think Tom can do the same thing, to keep themselves warm. They go inside. Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm getting extra loud music now. All right, we'll talk to you next week. All right, thank you very much, Mike O'Connor. Well, that that wasn't the topic we uh, we predict we uh, previewed, was it? It was about the uh, you, you know whether it's a good idea to feed birds. I just wanted to make clear, Mike did not chicken out on that topic. We just kind of played the wrong thing there. But we'll have that other topic uh, coming along soon. But we're back to the uh, mystery bird contest and playing the sound of this bird here one more time and seeing who might identify this medium-sized member of the Picadee family: black and white barred back, black cape and nape. White face, throat, and breast, black spots in the belly and sides. And the real clue, the male has a small red ribbon-like line on the side of its head. What is that bird? Megan is in Des Moines, Iowa, and she has an answer for us. Good morning, Megan. Hello, Megan. Are you there? She was there. I know she was there moments ago. I think Jesse is signaling that we may still have Megan or maybe not. Um, 
What can, one thing I can say about Megan that I know she was mentioned on our show earlier because uh, she was a recent uh, member or joining member of our ambassadors family. So thank you for that, uh, Megan. And her phone was going yeah. in and out. So Megan, if you can hear us, just give us a call back. Call us back, uh, Megan. And if you don't remember that number, and, and we don't, no, we do. It's seven eight one eight three seven four nine hundred. That's seven eight one eight three seven four nine hundred. I want to say another thing about Megan, and that is we just saw this morning that she's also joined our Talking Birds flock. And what that is, is the Facebook group for Talking Birds listeners. So <laughs> thank you for that, Megan. And um, I hope we can get your call through here because we have only a few seconds left. And uh, if not, we are certainly going to um, award that prize to you. Okay, well, we'll see if we get that call through. Uh, otherwise, uh, just a reminder about our Patreon, the new Talking Birds Patreon. If you'd like to support our show and let us send you some nice perks in the process, just go to patreon.com slash talkingbirds. That's patreon.com slash talkingbirds. And we also mentioned that Talking Birds flock, and you can go there too. That's a Facebook page, facebook.com slash talkingbirds. Too many addresses. Thanks to our amazing Talking Birds team, Debbie Bleacher, Frey McGregor, and our producing engineer, Jesse Wilkins. I'm Ray Brown. And before we go, I have to identify the bird. It's the red... Wait, she's on the phone there. You know we don't have time to get her call. The red cockaded woodpecker is our mystery bird. See you next week. The bird show. I like that. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod, BirdWatchersGeneralStore.com. And by Vortex Optics, with the VIP warranty, their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at VortexOptics.com. And by Brome, where bird feeding meets innovation. Discover truly squirrel-proof bird feeders, all backed by lifetime care commitment. Learn more at Brome.com. Dot com.